There's a few, a few insights, and then towards the end, we're going to talk a little bit about Abraham, and Abraham is a very important figure in the Bible. Um, in fact, 25% of Genesis is given over to Abraham, and a lot of people consider Genesis 1 through 11 to be the foundation of Genesis and of the Pentateuch and of the whole Bible, and once you get to Genesis 12, it's still foundational, but it's a little bit more of what you would call the superstructure or, you know, the beams, um, as opposed to, to foundation. Um, we're going to look at verse 10 to verse 32, and if you're comfortable reading some interesting names, you can raise your hand, and I'll let you read them. If you are not comfortable reading certain names, then don't raise your hand, all right? So we got uh, Pastor Jeremiah and Amanda, okay? And can you read off yours? Okay. All right. So why don't we have um, uh, Tom go first then? So what, let's have Tom read uh, verse 10 through 16. And 16. And then you can read verse 17 through 26. And then, um, Amanda, you can read 27 to 32. 10 to 15? Uh, yeah, 10 to 16. 10 to 16, okay. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old, and we got our facts at two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he begat our facts at 500 years and begat sons and daughters. And our facts had lived five months and 30 years and begat Selah. And our facts had lived after he begat Selah 403 years and begat sons and daughters. And Selah lived 30 years and begat Eber. And Selah lived after he begat Eber 403 years and begat sons and daughters. And Eber lived four and 30 years and begat Peleg. And Eber lived after he begat Peleg 430 years and begat sons and daughters. And Peleg lived 30 years and begot Reu. And after he begot Reu, Peleg lived 209 years and begot sons and daughters. And Reu lived 32 years and begot Serug. And after he begot Serug, <coughs> Reu lived 207 years and begot sons and daughters. And Serug lived 30 years and begot Nahor. And after he begot Nahor, Serug lived 200 years and begot sons and daughters. And Nahor lived 29 years and begot Terah. And after he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. And Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father, Terah, in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took themselves wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelled there, and the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. All right. Let's ask the Lord to bless. Uh, Pastor Jeremiah, would you pray for us? 
Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to look into your word. I pray that you would please use this time, quiet our hearts, our minds, help us to focus on exactly what you would have for us. Give us understanding to be the pastor who teaches and preaches your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. All right, so as we get started into this section, we are, I'm going to plan to quickly write the names down in order, and that way I can refer to them and to some of the distances. We'll do a little math, and we'll work through some things, and we'll see how far we make it, okay? So uh, it starts off with the generations of Shem. Now, who was Shem's dad? All right, Noah. I was hoping a couple of you would know that. Shem had a dad. His name was Noah. So Shem was on the ark, right? Noah was on the ark. Shem was on the ark. And it tells us that Shem had a son. And what was his son's name? Our facts said. I know some of you don't want to say some of these names. These are good Bible names here. You could name your child some of these names, all right? Um, so our facts said, we'll come back to the timeline a little bit more. And then we have Salah, all right? And Salah, and then we got Eber. Let's get these on here. Who's after Eber? Help me out. Well, we got Salah. Eber, Peleg, okay. After Peleg, we got R-E-U. All right. We'll have to meet them in heaven and ask them how to pronounce that. All right, who's next? Z-Rug. S. Okay, C-Rug. Of course, there it is. All right, we got a couple more. After C-Rug, oh, now we're all the way down to Nahor. And after Nahor, we are getting close now. Nahor had Terah, right? And Terah had Abraham. Okay, let's, um, it's Abram. Abram is his name at this point. So I'll move this a little over so people can see the names as we make reference to them. Now, in, in the passage, there's some things that if we add these numbers up, we can find out Abram's birth, how, how far Abram's birth was from the flood. You see that? So let's, let's see if we can do the math and figure it out. It says Shem was 100 years old and begot Arphaxad two years after the flood, right? So how old was Arphaxad during the flood? Um, this is a tough one, all right. Arphaxad, oh, thank you. Arphaxad was zero. He was nothing. Let's go back to Shem. How old was Shem when the flood was over? What's that? Nope, went the wrong way. 98, that's right. She added two, but it was subtracted. So 98 years old when the flood was over. This jumped out to me because do you remember when Noah was told about the flood? How many years was it before the flood he was told about the flood? It was 100 years. And Shem was born 98 years before the flood which tells me that he conceived after he knew that there was a flood coming. And so I wonder if God urged him in that way or if he just did it. I don't know, but how many sons did Noah have? Three. We are not told of any daughters, right? In fact, the Bible says he saved his entire house, right? So he conceived Shem after he was told of a flood, and he was around 500 years old, right? That's of note later in the genealogy here. Okay, so... Shem was 98 years when the flood was over. 
So if we're calculating from the flood, this is year zero, right? Because he is 98 years old, Shem is, but this is at the end of the flood. So if we're calculating from the flood to Abraham, we're at year zero. Our Faxad was born two years later, right? So he comes along two years later. So we got two years from the flood, our Faxad is born. So zero plus two, we're at two years. Now our Faxad, he has a child and he lives 35 years when he began, when Salah was born. So we're gonna start adding these numbers here and we're gonna calculate them up. All right, so Salah is born, help me with the numbers. So what's the next number for Eber? When Eber is born, how old was Salah? All right, so we got 30 years and then when's Peleg, how many years? From Eber, 34. What's the next one? 30, okay. 32, Nahor. 30, 29, and Abram. 70. Now, I don't know about you, but there's one number that is not like the others here. All right. Um, this one is not like the others. Um, let's do, who's, who's good at math? Does somebody want to get their phone out and add those up for us? Oh, he, look at this. What do you got? 292 years after the flood, Abraham is born. So that sounds like a super long time to us. To a guy like Noah, eh, not so much. Because remember, Noah is still living. Noah lived 350 years after the flood. So when Abraham was born, Noah is still living. And we would assume most of these are still living also. There is one that it says he died. And we'll talk about that a little later. So 292 years after the flood, Abram is born. So I think that's one reason we have a passage like this is to give us a timeline, to give us, you know, to trace back the ancestry of these people. We do have a similar, a very similar uh, record in Genesis 10 that gives the line of Shem. The difference is some of them list more than one seed and, you know, they'll list, he had this many sons and this uh, genealogy just gives the, the firstborn all the way down to uh, Abraham. All right, um, a couple other details that I wanted to point out is Peleg is when the earth was divided, right? Do you remember the division of the earth? What was the division we talked about last week? The Tower of Babel. So right around here we have the Tower of Babel. So if we wanted to, we could calculate these numbers up to see how many years Abram's birth was from the Tower of Babel. Might be cheaper, cheaper. Might be faster and easier just to subtract these, right? So this takes us back, takes us back only 68 years. I have to look at that. Maybe you have to include, you have to include this number. That's what it is. So you have 101 is what we get here, 101 years. I think we talked about it last week as around 102, 101 years after the flood. Okay, so uh, as we work our way down, we start getting more information as we get into Nahor, Terah, and Abram. Because a lot of these, you just have the one, you know, it's just this one had a son at this age and had a son, had a son. It doesn't even talk about their death. It just says, had a son, had a son, had a son. But once we get to Nahor and Terah and Abram, we start having more information. And there's a reason why that is. Before we get into 
these three, these three lived in the land of Ur, Ur of the Chaldees. And people kind of argue about several different places of where that might have been. It's somewhere in the land of Mesopotamia, which is the Fertile Crescent area, um, kind of north of Saudi Arabia, the more fertile lands. So Abram and his family live there. Nahor gives birth to Terah. Terah gives birth to Abram. Let's look closer at the, the exact family relationships that are shared towards the end there. All right, now it says in verse 27 is where we'll, well, verse 26 says, Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now this is, a, a, this is something that might throw our calculations off a little bit. All right, let me just pause. At, it says he lived 70 years and he had these three kids. Okay, so it could be that for this final name that this is how many children he had at the age of 70, which meant that maybe he had some children sooner. Are you following me? All right, so that would make this number a little lower. It wouldn't make it bigger, it would make it lower. So uh, it's definitely under 300 years between the flood and the birth of Abraham. Uh, there's one other thing I was wanting to talk about in relation to that. Uh, my brain is, is slipping me here. Um, but let, let's go ahead and, and line up this um, diagram. So we have uh, Tara. He gives birth to three, uh, three men. What are their names? Abram. We'll put him over here first. What are the other two? Nahor. And what's the third one? Aaron. That's right. So these three sons are the sons of Terah. Abram is one, but as we learn about these three, it tells us that one of them uh, dies. And it says, Haran died before his father, Terah, in the land of his nativity. So you know what nativity means, right? Nativity is where you're born. So Haran... Um, Haran dies before his dad. It's notated in scripture that Haran dies before his dad as a unique thing. Now, I think there was one other person that we talked about before the flood that died before their father. Do you remember that in the genealogy? There was one who, where if you measured the years out, they died before their dad. But Abram, he is a special figure, but at this point, he is just one of the masses. Some people have done some math, and one of the things we find is these people are having babies way, way earlier. Noah had his first child around the age of what? 500. Right? He had his first child around the age of 500. I don't know how that works. I don't know if they were just struggling or if they had some birth control going on or what. I don't know. But 500 years, that seems like a very, I mean, to our minds, we're just like, it blows our minds, right? Like, how on earth can you go that many years, no kids? But that's what the biblical record shows about Noah. And there's others where when we read of some of the other genealogies, there was hundred, you know, it's much later before they had children. But here, after the flood, they start to have them very young. I wonder if they knew that this new world did not sustain life quite like the old world. I don't know how they would have known that. Maybe they sensed it. Maybe God told them. I don't know. But they start having kids a lot younger. And what that means is probably you have a, a faster distribution faster population build. And some people say by the time you get down here, it says they're having sons and daughters. And depending on, it, I think they said if you give five kids to each couple on average, 
that you could get up to 15 million people in 300 years. Now, that kind of blows my mind a little bit. But there is power in compounding, okay? And this is compounding, compounding. Now, again, that's an estimate. Maybe it's less. Maybe it's more. Maybe it's only 7 million or something, right? But you still have a large amount of people on the earth by the time Abraham comes along. And so let's look at this family tree of Terah. We have Abram and he, um, I'm sorry, Haran dies, but Terah, he lives and he, uh, I'm sorry, Terah is the father, excuse me. Abraham and Nahor took themselves wives, it says. Now, if we're reading just this, we might think that Haran died before he had a wife, right? But earlier it says that Haran begot Lot, all right? So Haran, he has a son. I need to use another. We all of a sudden are going red here. Are we going to go red? Maybe we're going to go green. Let's try to get one that we can all read from a distance. We have, oh, look at that. That's nice. Lot. And so for him to have Lot, he must have had a wife. And, but he dies. And so we have Haran dying before his father, and Lot is flying solo, if you will, no dad, but he still has grandpa, and he still has two uncles. It's at this point that we discover the details of wives, and it talks about the wives that Abram and Nahor took. Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran. So, Nahor, he marries a guy named Milka. What's that? Did I say a guy? Oh, dear. Milka was a lady. All right. She was a female. Verified. Okay. But she was a daughter of Haran. So Milka was his niece. All right. Now, to us, again, we say, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I'm reading this in the Bible. But this was early in civilization. When you start off with eight people, you have to intermarry to get things to go. And uh, incest as a thing was not um, forbidden, maritally speaking, not forbidden, until the law of, of Moses. And so you even had time after this where you could marry siblings and, and that sort of thing. So he's marrying his niece, and but but it gets worse, okay? It gets worse because... Abraham, it, it doesn't tell us right here in this text. It just says the name of Abram's wife was Sarai. Okay? So Abram takes a wife named Sarai. And if we know anything about the story, there is a famous story where Abraham says that, oh, that's not my wife, that's my sister. And she apparently was his half-sister. And one of my study aides said that it was through the father. I don't know that. So I don't know if Terah had more than one wife. I don't know if Terah, his wife died and there was a different wife or infidelity or something. I don't know. But Terah apparently had children with more than one woman, one way or another. And Sarai was the daughter from this union. And Abram marries Sarai. Nahor marries Milcah. Now let's take a pause for a minute. What if we have 15 million people on the earth? Why would you be marrying your siblings? In a certain area, certain area, yes. And remember, the languages had been confounded. 
You're not going to find a wife you can't communicate with, right? That's a good lesson for life. Don't find a wife you can't communicate with, all right? So they could speak the same language, and they, were prox they had local proximity. And depending on the wickedness of man, you wanted a good wife, and, you know, if the pagans around were off into deep wickedness, you wouldn't want a wife like that. So there's a number of things that may have limited their, their marrying, at least for this era of time, in this sort of way. All right, and then it says, Abram and Nahor took themselves wives. The name of Abram's was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, which we have noted. Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, the father of Iscah. Now, Iscah is another daughter, but we do not have who she married, all right? It does not specifically say. Um, I, it's possible that, let's see here, Iscah and Milcah were both daughters of Haran. So, um, anyway, there's another daughter that's mentioned. That's a little curious, isn't it? Because we have so much talk about sons. And once we get to here, we have sons paired up with who they marry. But we have this uh, daughter mentioned without a lot of reference. Okay? Then it says, Sarai was barren. She had no child. Okay. Remember, his brother Haran has already had a boy named Lot. Nahor and Milcah are married and apparently are having children just fine. But here, Abram and Sarai, and they are not having children. She's barren. If we do the math from some other passages, Abram is called out of the Ur of the Chaldees at age 70. He is 70 years old when the call of God comes to him. Now, how old was his dad when he had three boys? Terah was 70 years old and he had three boys, right? He may have had daughters as well. But when Abram is now 70 years old, he still has no child. So Abram and Sarai, she is barren. I think this is the first reference in Scripture to a woman being barren. Whether or not it's the first time it happened, we probably don't know. But it says Sarai was barren. So this is the context and the setting for our study of, you know, when you get to Genesis 12 and you read, about Abram, this is where he came from, okay? Now let's read verse 31. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, here it calls her his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now, first of all, it says that they, they abode in a place called Haran, H-A-R-A-N. That's the name of their brother, right? Or son, depending on who you're talking about. Why would they stay in a place with that name? Well, maybe they gave that name to that place. <laughs> um, if they moved out, they found a place they liked, they settled down, and they called it Haran after, their dead, after his dead son. So it, it's very possible that Terah named this place after his boy that he lost. And, um, and the Bible says, notice that it says Terah took Abram and, and they went forth. So it sounds like Terah is still kind of leading the show here, doesn't it? Terah takes Abram and Nahor stays behind. Nahor and Milcah stay behind, but they go Lot, who's lost his dad, he goes along with them. And they all go to this new place called Haran. So this is a little strange to us because 
when we think of Abram, we think of the call of God to Abraham, right? But in this section, we find that Terah goes with them. Now, we don't, we don't quite know the sequence of events, but clearly it says in chapter 11 that Terah went to go to the land of Canaan, right? Did you read that? So Terah believed he was on his way to the land of Canaan. But when we read elsewhere, for instance, in Genesis 12 and in the New Testament, it says God came to Abram and said, leave your land, and he also tells him to leave something else. Leave your kindred, which is your family. And when Abram first left, he didn't leave his family. He took Lot with him. He took Terah with him. Of course, he took Sarah. I don't think that was the family God intended. Okay, I'm going to say leave your wife behind. But he tells him to leave his family. I think it's really important in the story, if you pay attention to when God actually makes his promise with Abraham, do you know when it is? It's right after Abram separates from Lot. Terah dies, and they leave him, and they keep going. But Lot continues on. And when Lot separates and he goes to Sodom, it is after that that God makes his promise with Abraham. So uh, I think that's a, a, an interesting point to, to bear in mind. There's a New Testament, or a, this is an Old Testament reference. Let me read to you from Joshua 24 about the people that God called. Joshua 24. And this is God describing the people that he, he called out of Ur. And it says this, And Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord God of Israel says, In old time your fathers dwelled on the other side of the flood, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. You see that? Abraham and Nahor and Terah were idolaters. So as we've started up here with Shem, and we've come down to Abram, somewhere along the way, they began to worship idols. And God even makes this point when he talks about Israel, and he says to them, there was nothing special about you for why I chose you to be my people. Do you remember this? And so the lesson here is that, that from here to here, the true worship of God was lost, and idolatry came in. And uh, we discussed the idolatry thing a little bit with uh, Nimrod, with Babylon, and a couple other times along the way we discussed idolatry. But down here, you have Abraham serving idols. And I think if we want to zoom out and look at Genesis 1 through 11, God starts with nothing, and with Adam and Eve, he puts them in his garden, and he says, here is the humans that I have created. And how many sons does the Bible say that Adam had? Well, we know he had more than this, but it specifically notates three sons, right? Cain, Abel, and Seth. Cain kills Abel, so Abel's dead. Cain is the wicked one who slew his brother. And then there's Seth, which is the godly one of the three. And so, oh, well, let's work with this godly line. All right, let's go down with Seth, and let's see what happens. And, oh, oh, it's getting more and more wicked. It's getting more and more awful. And the whole earth is given over to wickedness. Here's Noah. Noah finds grace. He still knows God. And so he plucks Noah and his family out, and all the rest of the earth is judged and removed. Now, Noah, he had how many sons? Again? He had three sons. Hmm. Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so we got this. Here's, here's this one man who's looked to God. He has these three sons. Certainly things will go better with this. Well, we have one kind of medium son, the Japheth line, but then we have the Ham. He's, 
you know, sins against his, his parents and uh, defiles them and so on. And then you have uh, uh, Shem, and Shem, he seems to be the most godly of the three, perhaps. And, but you go down the Shem line, and pretty soon they're all worshiping idols again. And so God picks out Abraham and says, come to here, I will make a promise with you, leave this land, come to this land that I will give you. And when he does, he calls Abram to go to the land of the Canaanites, who are cursed of God from the action of, of Ham and or Canaan, depending on how you understand that story. And he says, I'm going to give you this land. So when we read the Bible in the Old Testament, you have the history that leads us all the way down to Abram, that takes us back up to this spot here where there was a sin and a curse came upon the descendants of Cain, not Ham, but Canaan. And so Canaan and the people that settle there, they are cursed of God. So when he comes along, he says, I want you to go to Canaan. I want you to go there. Well, why there? Well, God's going to set up a nation there. He's going to set up a, a, a kingdom there. He's going to set up something that will actually be a promise that he will fulfill for all time. And he tells Abram, I will give you land, I will give you seed, I will give you blessing. And what we've studied in Genesis 1-11 through 11 is the foundation stones of the whole Bible. Because once we get to Abraham, there's a lot of zoomed-in look at the life of Abraham. And Abraham, he has, well, we go again, three generations down, right? Abraham, Isaac, and we get Jacob. Jacob has his 12 sons, and out of those 12 sons, we get the 12 tribes of Israel. And then they go to Egypt, right? And so... The Old Testament is unfolding, and all of that takes us up to Exodus, second book of the Bible. But then this nation is really, most of this Old Testament is all wrapped up in this story of this nation. Did this nation turn to idols? Yes, they did. Yes, they did. And uh, even though they had agreed to the Ten Commandments. And then God sets aside Israel. Christ dies on the cross as they reject, Israel rejects their Messiah. He dies on the cross, and he sets up something different called the church, and the Jew and Gentile are together in one body, and he tells these people, now you love me and you serve me. And even the Apostle John will say, keep yourselves from idols. And do these people turn to idols? Yep, they do, they do. And really the story of the Bible is about people choosing something other than God over and over and over again. And God continues to reach out in mercy and say, turn to me, Know me, love me, look to me, right? And as we look at this list, somewhere along the line, somebody dropped the baton big time. I don't know if it was Arphaxad or Eber. By the way, some people say this is where we get the word Hebrew from, from this guy named Eber. He, put an H there, brew, all right? Heber, Hebrew. Um, but anyway, Peleg, we have the Tower of Babel and the Rebellion. So, you would imagine maybe even by this point they're worshiping idols with the Tower of Babel. And further down you go, you have them all embraced in idolatry. There's one other passage I want to read, and we'll wrap up shortly here. Acts chapter 7, there's uh, Stephen giving an account of what happened here with Abraham. And in Acts 7, he talks about it in this way. Acts 7, verse 2, and he said, Men... Brothers and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelled in Haran. That phrase tells us that God came to Abraham before Haran. So that's important to understand that when Terah and the family moved out, 
God had already spoken to Abraham at that point. He had already told him to leave his kindred, right? So when Abraham made his first step, I mean, his literal first step of obeying God was disobediently done, <laughs> okay? You know, he took his family anyway. Like God says, leave your family, come follow me. And he goes out with his family. Um, it just shows you the patience of God with people, doesn't it? You know, he is so patient. And he waits, and finally Abraham separates from his family, and he finally gets into the land of Canaan, and he finally makes his covenant with him later after all of that. So verse, verse 3 then says, And said to him, Get out from your country and from your family, and come into the land that I will show you. And he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelled in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him into this land in which you are now dwelling. Okay, can I make another quick application? Who gave the land to Abraham? God did. God gave the land to Abraham in what year? Well, approximately, let's see here, he was born here. So if you add 70 years to this, about 362 years or so after the flood, God gave the Canaanite land to Abraham. So is there arguments about the land today? There's a war going on right now about the land. Whose land is it? It's Abraham's land. God gave it to him all the way back there. That's one of the reasons why Christians who understand the Bible to still, for God to fulfill his words to Abraham literally, they side with the Jews in the dispute about the land. It's because it's in the Bible. Um, it's not because we think the Jews are perfect people, because they're not. There's a key problem with them, and they've rejected Jesus the Messiah. So, like, we're clear on that. But we also don't believe that God was lying or joking or making it up when he said, I will give you this land. And so that land is the Jews. And I think the fact that there's such a fuss and fight about it shows us that this biblical framework it reflects reality. Because Satan doesn't like the Jews. He doesn't like God's promise. He doesn't want people believing in it. And so we have this conflict today that, to me, is so evident that it's based out of the realities of Scripture. Let's close with one quick thing and we'll take any questions or comments. There is a bit of a contrast between the Tower of Babel and the work of God in Abram's life. And it's not obvious or, or super deep, but a couple of things. How many people were working on the Tower of Babel? Basically everyone, uh, maybe there was a few abstainers, but it, it says everyone. They're all living there. Okay, everyone was around there. It was pretty much everyone, and they were united against God. How many people did God call out of the Ur, land of the Ur of the Chaldees? Two. Abram and Sarai. Just those two. Just two people. He says, I'll, I'll make a promise with you. Did God deal with these people? He did in judgment. Did God deal with these people? He did in grace. Um, so yes, there's a big difference there. Um, these are the people in their strength. We will build this great tower. We will get together. Let's build this tower. Let's do this. Let's unite against God in all their strength. Did these people come in their strength? No. They came in their weakness because they couldn't have children, which especially in this era of time, I think was like a prime thing. You know, when you're trying to settle the land, you kind of need kids to help you work the land and build your houses and things, right? So they had nothing. Abram and Sarai, they... They may have had servants, okay? They may have had people, I guess later it will talk about his servants. So he had, you know, people in that way, but he had no, he had no, uh, no children. It says here that they wanted to make a great name for themselves. 
Remember the Tower of Babel? We will make a name for ourselves. What did God promise to Abram? I will make a nation out of you. I will give you, all the earth will be blessed through you, right? He gave them a name. So we have a contrast there. We also see rebellion here versus obedience here. Now, Abram's obedience was, was not immediate. It wasn't perfect, but we see a, a distinction there. And then lastly, these people doubted the word of God. They rejected, I believe, his words about the flood reoccurring. They rejected his words about spreading out over the earth. Did Abram believe God? Yes, he did. So there is some, some distinction there. All right, final questions or comments on the most exciting passage ever. Yes, Deborah will be first. When Abraham, Abraham and Lot were dividing the land, that they were in Canaan, right? Yes. If he would have obeyed, he wouldn't have had to give up that good land, but he lost out because he hadn't obeyed. That's right. That is true. And even beyond that, Lot had kids with his daughters. And they became the Moabites and the... Uh, is it... It's one of the ites, I suppose. Um, but later when Israel came into the land, they fought with those people, right? And so they had conflict that was generationally, you know, realized hundreds of years later. So, yes, it's a great point that his disbelief and disobedience caused him to lose out on certainly the ease and the fullness of partaking. It reminds me of a verse in Psalms where it talks about how God gave the people their own way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we do just choose to do our own thing, but then we miss out what God's best does. For yes, us. yes. All right, anyone else? Question or comment? Esther is next. I guess I um, always thought that Noah already had children before he started building that ark, but you're saying all three of his sons were born after God gave. Well, we know this of Shem mm -hmm. because of the timeline that it gives. Um, it talks about one of the brothers being the older brother. And we, I would have to look at that in light of this. So I guess in theory, he may have had the one prior. Because I was looking back at chapter 10, and it always names them in that order, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Yes, and some people point to that and say that means that's the order they were born. But one of them, it talks about his, I think it's with the story of Ham. It talks about the elder, the older brother, or the oldest brother. I can't remember the phrasing. So it, it does make a statement about one being older than the other, but it still doesn't answer because the third one could have been first. So anyway, yeah. I but guess I also imagined when Noah was building the ark, he had grown men to help him, mm. like his sons were grown. Right. But not right you know, away. His wife was pregnant during this time. Mm -hmm. She had to. So sometimes we think, oh, I can't do everything God wants me to do because I have physical limitations. Mm but it was in God's plan. Mm -hmm. And in time, he had help, but right. maybe not at the beginning. Yes. Maybe he was in blueprint mode. When the boys get a little older, we'll start this, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Anyone else? Question or comment? Yes. Well, I was looking back at chapter 9 where Noah says, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Yes. And because I was like the land of Canaan. What was that to them? But then in chapter 10, talks about Canaan yeah. as a descendant. 
Um, but he's a, he's a son of Ham. Yes. So. So it's, and then, you know, Abraham is, is told to go and that land will be his. Right. And eventually, you know, Abraham's children, the children of Israel, do go and they conquer that land. Right. And, and you know, those people, this, I guess that's the fulfillment in some ways of that prophecy. Right. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, it, it is the fulfillment of the prophecy. But it's interesting that God tells them to destroy the people in the land, but they end up making them servants. Yes. In a lot uh, of cases. Yes. In, in that one, in, and sometimes they just made him pay tribute. You know, they did yeah. not remove them. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's a number of stories that later in the Bible, if you understand Genesis 1 through 11 well, it helps you interpret certain things better further down the line. Because uh, some people really get confused in their Old Testament. And some of it is just because it is kind of complicated. But if you understand Genesis 1 through 11 well, it helps explain. Because some people, they get real bent out of shape. Oh, God told them to go in and take this land. And that's so mean, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, well, there, there was a backstory to that that led up to that. It, it wasn't just random. God didn't flip a coin and be like, all right, take their land, you know. There was a wickedness level where they needed to be removed. And secondly, there was a curse upon them because of the sin uh, that was the source of how that came to be. So, yes. And the other, so Haran, clearly they named this town after their brother slash son. That's my guess. And but then yes. you have the land of Canaan, which is obviously Ham's son. Named who, after. Right. Yep, but yep. this, um, the Chaldeans who, you know, history books document and talk about. Mm -hmm. But who, whose descendants are they? This land that they live whose in. Whose descendants are they? Yeah, I mean, clearly Ur of the Chaldeans. Right. Like, that would be a family name. Yes. Do you, do you know, did you see in your study who, who they descend from? Well, Babylon, if you, if you form it off of Babylon, Nimrod founded Babylon. So you can trace Nimrod back up to his... You, you meaning Shem, Ham, or Japheth? Is that your question? Which of the three? No, I'm, yeah, well, I mean, or anyone, I mean, yeah, but, yeah, who do they trace back up through? Well, the Chaldean people. I mean, we'd have to look in Genesis 10, but it's, it's Nimrod, and it's Ham. It's, it's Ham. Okay. Nimrod founded Babylon, and Nimrod was from Ham. So, we know that Babylon was in Ur of the Chaldees? Well, it, see, it says of the Chaldeans, that's a people group, okay? So the empire, the, the full-blown empire that we think of as a Babylonian empire was not at this stage of time, but it's saying Chaldean people, okay? So um, that's not to say that the Chaldean empire was at its zenith or anything then, but it's saying that people group, he, he lived amongst that people group. Does that make sense? So it's interesting, we have a descendant of Shem, living in an area where they were descendants of Ham. Yes. So some of the divisions that happened apparently were not strictly limited to, um, unless we assume they didn't know the language, but the language divisions, sometimes we assume it was all within the lines, right? But there was apparently some overlap, or maybe it was through marriage or something. I don't know but how that came to be. Deborah has our next question. Anyone after Deborah? Okay. 
when you say that Canaan was cursed, how much stock do you put in blessing and curses that the fathers put upon their children because God's not required to do what the father says about their like even with um, Jacob and Esau and Joseph when the fathers would say this is going to be about your children and stuff like mm-hmm. God's not required to do what they say so how much stock do you put in the blessings and curses that the fathers would put upon their children well I think some people understand Noah to be speaking as a prophet there as opposed to I place a curse upon you, like I, through my power. But rather, he speaks prophetically in, there is a curse upon you because of this sin. So he's stating it in a prophetic sense. Um, But we, I don't believe you were here when we studied the story of Noah. Were you here for that lesson? Or did you listen to it later, maybe? Okay, so we discussed the, some of the possible interpretations of that story. But clearly, either Ham or Canaan sinned against his father and father and mother, perhaps. So um, the fact that there would be results from sin, I don't think is all that shocking, right? Um, You know, if if a mother is an alcoholic while carrying a baby, you know, that baby is cursed due to her sin, right? It doesn't mean they're destined for hell. doesn't mean God doesn't love them. doesn't mean any of that. It means that they suffer effects of other people's sin. And so this curse that's being discussed about is these people suffered effects because of the sin of their father. So, um, you know, I, I don't know if some of that is DNA related. I don't know if it's related to the environment that God put them in. I don't know all the details, but um, does that answer your question? So how much stock should we put in the Father's curse? Is that what your question was? Or a blessing? Yeah. I, I haven't thought extensively about that, honestly. Um, it's certainly not something we do today a whole lot, is it? Um, what's that? Maybe we need to. Yeah, I, I do feel like it's somewhat connected to that, mosaic, or that Old Testament system of families and nations because it seems like they knew that they were laying out like civilization. Like, right, they were in the foundation stones of the world. So some of these dads and families were looking down the line for, you know, let's build, let's develop, let's create. And so when you have different sons and you have some that, harm you and others that bless you, you know, the dad acts in favor towards those who bless him and acts against those who curse him. But, um, so I mean, today, like, fathers don't generally think of themselves as, like, I'm starting a new nation here, you know. Um, So I think that's kind of a a distinction, but I don't know. I'll have to give that some more thought. Um, I haven't thought extensively about that. Okay. Well, let's close in prayer, and I have not gotten any feedback about where we should go next. Nobody has any ideas. The big wide Bible, um, no one has any ideas. But I know that either on Wednesday or Sunday afternoon, we will be going through Job. I haven't decided which service to place that in. And then the other service, will be studying something else. But um, next Sunday is Mission Conference. We'll do that. And actually, I didn't, I didn't announce or explain this, but we're planning to do Mission Conference Communion for our 1.30 service next, next Sunday. And um, we, uh, Jeremiah and I have a couple thoughts and plans about that. And um, I guess observing communion with a heart towards missions is kind of the idea that, you know, Christ has saved us. He's given us his grace and goodness. And then we want to share that with the world. So um, that is next Sunday, 1.30. And then the Sunday after, come back and find out where we are. All right. You'll know then. So um, let's do our announcements and then we'll pray and be dismissed. We'll go through these first.
work. Have you looked at the signups, Esther, to see how, how that's going? She's going to go back and check. All right, if you have a prayer need, send that in. Put that in the box there. There's the schedule for mission conference, Saturday the 